0: hello everyone and welcome to today's ilta session today's session is entitled shields up developing your defenses against cyber attacks i am your host and moderator kevin j foster i'm from and williams uh here in the great city of philadelphia and today with me i have the famous dr eric cole right dr eric cole is the ceo and founder of Secure Anchor Consulting. And Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll just jump right in. I I, I am your definition of somebody who loves and
1: is passionate about cybersecurity. (laughs) I believe everyone's put on the planet for a purpose. And I believe my purpose is to secure cyberspace, to make cyberspace a safe place to live, work, and raise a family. And I've been doing it for 30 years. Started off in the government as a professional hacker, doing a lot of offensive work. And what I realized from doing that is two things. One, offense is easy. You can always get in. Defense is where it gets really, really tricky. And yeah. second, I don't like working for others. I like being creative and building things. So I'm that rare breed of cybersecurity entrepreneur where I like doing a lot of things. So I bought and sold multiple companies in the cybersecurity space from services to uh, vCISO to training, And today I now focus a lot on executive awareness, helping organizations build out effective cybersecurity solutions, putting the proper measures in place. And then the other part of my job is I'm also an expert witness. So I testify in a lot of cybersecurity cases ranging from uh, infringement of intellectual property, trade secrets, and of course data breaches uh, so that that's sort of what consumes my time now. I love sharing information, and Kevin, thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It is my pleasure and a great honor. I've I've talked with Eric uh, from from way back in the day, right? <laughs> I always remember his great Snorty the Pig story. We'll save that one for another time. <laughs> so.
1: I forgot about, it. wow, you've known me for a while. I haven't pulled that one out in a long, long time. So that that exactly. that uh, ages and compliments our friendship, my friends. So.
0: Exactly. So great. So let's jump right in. So today, folks, we're talking about, uh you know, defending your firms against the latest cyber threats. So law firms deal with a lot of, you know, private and sensitive data, obviously, with their clients. Uh, what are some of the top threats that you're seeing um, in this space, and how can firms deal with the shifting landscape of cyber attacks?
1: Yeah, yeah law firms are uh, a very interesting target, and one that we've seen uh, cyber criminals go after more and more over the last year. And the reason is simple: you have a lot of really, really good data across multiple clients. When you go in, and I, I work with a lot of them under NDA, so I'm not going to name any firms, but just look at your firm, look at who your clients are, and look at the amount of sensitive, proprietary, critical data that you have to have access to in order to support that client and whatever litigation purposes. So now think of myself as a cyber criminal. If I want to go after one company, I can, I can go after that entity and I can break in and steal their information. But then if I want another company, I have to go after them separately. But if I find a big law firm that specializes in a certain area or certain arena, I could almost guarantee they have five, seven, 10 different clients in that space with very, very sensitive, critical information and I would go after them and target them. And the main attack vector we're seeing, and the reason why you don't see it in the news anymore is attackers have switched from ransomware, which is visible. If I go into a law firm and I hold your data ransom, it's known because you can't access your data, people can't access your data, You have to either postpone lawsuits or file extensions or things like that. And all of that stuff is visible. It's very hard to hide ransomware attacks. And especially depending on what state's country you live in, there's different regulations about reporting it. I know uh, in Australia, there's different if it's a ransomware attack, the U.S. is trying to push some laws on that front. So ransomware attacks are harder to hide and become more publicly visible. However, extortion attacks are not visible, and they're much easier and to, to hide. I can tell you right now, we worked on seven cases in 2023 in the last 12 months of law firms in which somebody broke in, and basically it's a double win for the cyber criminal. They not only extort the law firm saying, if you don't pay, we're going to embarrass you, mm-hmm. but then they go back to each of the clients and say, if you don't pay, we'll embarrass you too. So they're getting double payoffs on that front. And the crazy part about it is these were all multi-million dollar extortion payments and none of them made the news. None of them are visible. So the big message I really wanna send is you gotta be careful of using the news as your validation source because if you watch the news in 2023, you would come up with two conclusions. One, cyber attacks are decreasing because mm. there there really wasn't a big attack vector. If you remember twenty twenty two, you had Correct. Colonial, you had wind, we- like it was every couple of months, and there really wasn't any in the news. Now, they are happening, but the attackers are being much more stealthy, and companies are Correct. being much more careful of how they're doing it. Second, is that law firms aren't being targeted. Law firms, and we track all this data. Law firms are number two. The number one vector that's being targeted is healthcare. And the number two is uh, law firms. And if law firms are in the healthcare space, right, you're number one and number two. So so I I just always like sharing that message that we gotta be real careful. I'm not about fear, uncertainty, and doubt here, but I work in the space, I have real data, and you gotta recognize that they're coming after you, they're coming after you hard. And then the last piece I wanna to add to answer the question is they're doing it differently. Mm-hmm. 2021, 2022 was primarily server-based attacks. They were going after systems that weren't patched, accessible from the internet, setting up pivot points, driving deeper and really taking advantage of the unpatched type systems. Most of the attacks and big incidents we worked on where you're talking multi-million dollar worth of direct loss, not even counting indirect loss, were all server-based attacks. Mm -hmm. about April of last year, it all started shifting. And we finished the year where about 73% of the attacks are individual phishing attacks, where I'm going to take a lawyer, I'm going to target them, because let's face it, when you work on these big cases, attorneys, your name is all over the public filings. I can go in publicly and find out any case against company X, I can find out the lawyers, the law, I mean, this is publicly available data. So you can't hide if you're in the legal arena, it's gonna be publicly available for recon. And then I go in and target you. And remember, I know who your client is. You're on your company's website. You're probably a partner. I can craft an email that looks pretty darn legitimate. And these cyber criminals are really good business people. When am I gonna send that email? I'm going to send that email two days before a hearing, two days before you go to trial or during trial. When I know you are so busy that I'm going to catch you where you're overworked, your inbox is full, you're a little uh, emotional. And if I can craft the right email, I know it might not work when you're normal times, but because you're stressed, you'll think and click without responding and that's all they need. So they're, they're going to be targeting and going after those, uh, partners and others. And then once you get in, it's so easy to get access to everything else because the reality is most companies, including law firms, can't, I'm not saying they don't, it's not a deficiency, it's a reality, can't really do least privilege because you need access. If you're a partner, you need access to a lot of data. So if Correct. I can compromise your account, I can get that data, even if you have proper security boundaries
0: in place. Correct. And what's 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 interesting about that, that kind of dovetails into the, the next uh, thing I want to talk about here um, with that data being in transit, with that data between law firms, between um, expert witnesses like yourself, right? So when you have, how do you protect that kind of data in transit? Still keeping to the fact that now we have a, a bunch of people now working from home. So you have that perimeter you have to protect. There's no longer everyone behind the fort or inside the fort and you can protect that. Now everyone is everywhere. And now you have to protect that data in transit as well as to your third party vendors, which is a whole nother conversation. But as a law firm, how would how would how should firms look to protect their data in transit? So the biggest thing
1: that I say is go, go beyond this fallacy that encryption equals security. Because I hear this all the time where I work with law firms, like, Eric, the data is encrypted. And I'm like, well, well, what does that mean? Like, where are the keys stored? Like, are are you telling me every second of every day? But here's the issue. Let's face the reality. If Kevin and Eric want to communicate and have meaningful conversation and be able to read and understand what we're saying, there has to be a large part of that life cycle that's unencrypted. How are you protecting that? Because everyone's like, oh, we use SSL or we use encrypted email or we use ABC or we use, and once again, I'm careful not to mention vendors, but you know the top vendors that have encrypted cloud yes. storage capabilities. Yes. And that's great. But once again, how is that encryption controlled and monitored and tracked? We, we just did a uh, security assessment penetration test for a law firm and they had one of the top storage Components. I mean, all the encryption, FIP certified, down mm-hmm. to the wire. But here's the reality we were able to break, and this was all with authorization and permission. We were able to go in and break the password and gain access to one person's account. And here's the reality with all these encryption solutions once you log in with a valid user ID and password, you can unencrypt everything. So the, the, the thing I always say is think through the entire life cycle. And don't just check a box going, because encryption is used somewhere, the magical security unicorns come out and we're automatically protected and safe. The reality is the biggest problem and biggest issue is endpoints. Because on the servers, yes, it's secure. And unless I get user ID and password, it's gonna be secure and locked down. So server's pretty good. Server cloud-based solutions, my big, big recommendation there is you got to crank up the authentication. I know multi-factor every time can be a nuance. I know every time you log in getting another pin or all that, it can sort of be annoying. And if you come from a new location, you have to re-authenticate. But you know what's really, really annoying? having your law firm in the news, and I won't mention any, but you know who I'm thinking a couple of exactly. years ago, where they had to shut down operations for four weeks because their data was compromised. They exactly. had to tell all their clients, they had to be embarrassed, they had to have reputational impact. That's even more annoying. So the, the first point I always say is, uh, whether you're in tech or you are an attorney, you got to spread the message going lesson. In a digital era and digital age, there's going to be some annoyance. Do You want a little or a lot. So you got to really crank up authentication. I'm shocked, as an expert witness, how many times I work with law firms, and the way I get access to the very sensitive data in this case is they'll email me a user ID and password.
0: Yes, that's there's no two
1: factor. There's no, and I'm just like Richie. I, I, I'm here for security, and this is like that, that, that's what's happening there. So we we have to get that fixed exactly. and taken care of. Exactly. Then the other thing we have to do is stop this local storage. I'm often brought in when there's different issues and I have to investigate laptops. You look at a laptop today. Let's just break it down. Modern Mm -hmm. laptops that are at law firms typically have quad processors. They have 16 megs of memory and they have a four terabyte hard drive. That's a server. (laughs) That is not a laptop, my friends. We no longer have laptops. We have lap servers, right? We have portable servers. Do you know how much four terabytes of data is? Do you know how open it is? And in most cases that data is unencrypted. So now as an attacker, I don't need, if I go in and compromise, I do a phishing scam and I break into your computer. Hmm? I don't even need you connected to the network. All your data is on that local system. So to me, we really in law firms and all places, but especially law firms need to start looking at thin clients where when you work, when you access all, of, you have 16 gigs of memory, that's plenty, but it all stays on the server. It all stays encrypted and we have thin laptops where we don't store a lot of our data on the hard drive. So yes, encryption is good. Key management is important. Authentication is critical. But if your data is stored plain text on portable servers, it's gonna defeat and bypass most of the security measures you have in place.
0: Yeah, and, and it's kind of interesting because when we often talk about breaches and we talk about how they happen and why they happen, I often tell folks or often explain to folks that there's commonality amongst all those things. And what is that? All of these companies have had security incident response they've all had security policy, they've had budget, they have all the latest and greatest tools and techniques, and yet and still, breaches are still happening. So of course, we don't like to talk about that part of of, 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 um, of business, but in the event that, in a, that an incident does happen, what are some of the key ways that a firm can make sure that they're responding in a manner that lessens the impact? Right. Because it's not a matter of if we always talk about that common cliche. It's not if, it's when. Uh, but so when an attack does happen, what's some what are some key ways that a firm can lessen the impact to its critical data?
1: And and to me, the biggest one is you gotta crank up your detection. Detection, 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 detection. I am still amazed. This is one of my big soapboxes. I'm gonna get on for a second. I promise I won't <laughs> stay too long. Is I am still shocked and amazed of how many companies are so focused on prevention, stop, yes. stop, stop. I go in and I ask even security people who have been working in security for 10 years, I ask them a simple question. What is the goal of cybersecurity? And they're like, well, to stop all attacks, to be secure, to be protected. And I'm like, eh. it's not. The no. goal of cybersecurity is to detect attacks in a timely manner to control the damage. You cannot stop all attacks. It's impossible. Right? It's not going to happen. It's like a person saying they will never ever get sick for the rest of their lives. Correct. Now, I have friends of mine, and and I'm very big into preventive medicine. Friends of mine like myself that we don't get severely sick. I, I don't miss work. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, in bed with 104 fever. But, but I will tell you, there are some times where I'm at 90% and not 100%. i am still operating because I detect illnesses very, very early, and I do things to minimize the damage to my overall body. And it's the same thing with cybersecurity. Is, now, I'm not saying rip out your prevention. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying yeah. is, at this day and age, you've done what you could with prevention. Right? Prevention is pretty mature from hmm. firewalls to IPS to whatever else you want to throw in there and to make all the vendors happy, all the new AI, right? Because, of course, artificial intelligence right. is going to solve every problem. It'll solve everything. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, that, that's one of my other pet peeves, but we won't go there. <laughs> uh, but the point is, you've done what you could with prevention. So in most cases, trying to add more prevention, all it's going to do is add more annoyance, add more disruption, and add more frustration to the equation. At this point, maintain what you have, with prevention, but your focus needs to be on detection, 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 detection. There is no reason why you should be having an attack where you were compromised for over a year and had 500 million records. There's a failure in detection on that. So I know you're asking about incident response, but mm-hmm. the way you deal with incident response is you deal with the fire when it's small, not when the entire house is burning sure. to the ground. The way to stop a fire is to catch somebody from lighting the match. Correct. Once the match is lit, I can put that fire out with a glass of water. But if you let that match drop and then go unattended for six hours, you got a much bigger problem. So the real goal of incident response is on that first step of identification. So you have your incident response lifecycle, preparation, identification, sorry, preparation, identification, containment eradication, a recovery and lessons learned. It's really that separate that second step of identification that you wanna put your energy and effort on. And it all comes with changing the paradigm. And the paradigm is embrace the breach. Breaches aren't bad. Breaches are okay, breaches are a part of life. I actually, if I have a client and I just, another law firm uh, in, this one was actually London based, and I come in and they're so proud. They're so proud because they're like, Eric, we have not had a single incident or a single breach in two and a half years. And I'm okay. like, oh, this is going to be fun. And they're <laughs> like, oh, uh, you don't seem impressed. And I'm like, yeah, because you're lying to me. And they're like, what do you mean you're right. lying to you? I'm like, let me tell you a fact. You've had an incident. You've had a breach. You right? might not know about it. They exactly. might not be aware about it, but it's happening. So, exactly. so those companies that say they haven't had breaches or incidents for two years scares the gajeebas out of me because they're exactly. blind.
0: Exactly. I
1: love a client that comes in and goes, Eric, we have incidents and breaches every couple of weeks, but we detect them, we contain them, we respond, and there's really no damage. Those are the clients that, believe it or not, are mature. So the goal here is not no incidents, no attacks, because what it means is you're ignoring the problem. The goal is we want, I would say for a law firm, and I know it's hard based on the size, Mm -hmm. but you should be having three to five incidents, sorry, not incidents, uh, breaches or incidents a month. Now, they should take you a couple hours, they should be tiny, they should be small, you should catch them pretty quickly. But the idea is if you haven't seen anything, or you don't think there's any attacks or breaches over the last six months, you need to look somewhere else. You need to start doing a better job on detection, detection. Because the reality is, if you don't have really good detection, your incident response is going to be almost impossible. Because the reality is, if you've been breached for two years and you take two years to discover it, all your clients' records, millions of dollars, and you have multiple class action suits and multiple fines from the United States government, they're really... The only incident response procedure there is to go to a local church and pray. I mean there's, <laughs> there's not a whole lot left there, my friend. So so it's one of those that that I, I know you asked about incident response, but, no, but it really right. comes a lot down to uh, the detection piece. And then to answer the question, the only other thing I would add is you need to make sure that the plan is tested and approved by executives before the incident happens because here's the reality and many people don't realize this if you have an apartment building whoever owns the apartment building is in charge of that apartment building they Mm -hmm. get to decide and determine what happens but do you realize that if there's a fire in that building the fire chief takes over but but by law the fire chief is now in charge not you so if the owner of the building says don't do that but the fire chief believes its best interest for public safety buyer chief always wins. And you need to have that comfort where during the normal running of a company, the CEO is in charge. But when there's an incident, you have to have enough confidence, enough communication, enough testing that that CEO says, okay, I'm now second. And whoever my incident response lead is, is in charge. Now they're going to coordinate with me, but I'm going to let them make the call because at this point, the building's on fire and we need somebody who's experienced in that area to be able to make the call and get us back to a safe operating state as soon as possible. All of that has to be taken care of. The yes. communication, the agreement, and the trust has to be put in place before there's an incident. Otherwise, your first incident turns into a much bigger problem than it needs to be.
0: It does. And, and what's interesting about that is we often talk about the tabletops with the technical aspect uh, of dealing with cybersecurity incidents, but we often don't talk about the communication the other way. Do executives have a a communication plan? If something happens, here's what you here's what we tell social media. Here's what we tell C, uh, CNN or whatever news media that calls. Here's how we deal with the the upper levels of that that attack, right? And so um, that kind of leads me to my to my final question, talking about uh, security awareness. Because it's it's the awareness part that I think that that's missing in a lot of companies. So we, we talk about, uh, you know, making the, the users aware, and we talk about making executives aware, but yet and still, breaches are still happening. Folks are still not as informed and aware as they could be. So what are some of your strategies for security awareness in companies and making sure that companies are aware from the highest level executive to uh to the lowest level if you want to call it that of employee that they are a target and this is really serious business and cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility.
1: Yeah yeah t- to me the issue is that we're way too focused on awareness. To me what I do with our clients I don't do security awareness. I do security habit building. Because he- here's the problem today. I I would be Really hard pressed to find an executive, a vice president, or really anybody for that matter, that's not aware of security. They're aware of security. They know security is an issue. They know security is a problem. Now they might not believe it can happen to them, of course. Right? but but they but they are aware. The issue is they don't know what to do. So we sit there every year or every quarter or every month, and we go in. And we tell them the same things, and they nod and agree, and they are aware. So, But they don't do anything about it because they don't know what their job or responsibility is. So what I like to do is go in and do security habit building. So I'll I'll give you an example. One of the things I focus a lot on, I'll do the awareness because that's what I always joke is with my clients. I'll always give you what you want because I want to get paid but I'll slip (laughs) in what you need because you don't really know what you need. So I'll give you the awareness so you can pay me. But what you need is the habit building. And here's the biggest one that I push. And if you can get this habit built in to your staff, your team, and your attorneys, your days become a lot more beautiful. And it's this simple. Do not ever, ever, never, ever, 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 never, ever (laughs) click on a link in an email. Boom, that's it. And I sit there and spend 20 minutes showing them horrors that can happen from clicking on links and just how easy and how simple it is. And and I give them links where I'm like, OK, how many people in the room believe this is a legitimate email? Because it has the logos. It looks like it came from the shipping. Co- I mean, it looks beautiful in there. And they're like, Yep, yeah, we're confirmed. I'm like, would you bet your family's life on it? And then they're like putting their hands down. And then I click on it and show them what happens. And I'm like, yeah. And it takes it to a malicious site. And then the biggest thing, and this is the awareness that most people don't realize, that one click can compromise and take over and steal all your data. So I show them because it's one thing to do awareness that, yes, you're a target. Security is an issue. You need to pay attention to it. But most people don't believe that it's a one-click attack vector. So I actually dissect, they don't know all the technology, but they can see I'm going, listen, that one email you click on, let me show you what's happening. And then they're going, whoa, so if I make one mistake, all my client data can be compromised. And it's like, yes, that's a different level of awareness. And it's tied to a habit. Now, the next time an email comes in with the link, they're they're going to think twice and go, do I do I really want to bet my family's exactly. life? And, and, and that's what I always joke with people. I'm like, before you click on an email, mm-hmm. I just want you to ask a simple question based on what I just showed you here. Are you willing to bet your family's life that it's secure? And if you're not, don't click on it. And it just, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's fun, but deep enough that all of a sudden now they're leaving with an awareness, but a behavioral change. So Correct. to me, that's the thing I would say with security awareness, you need to go deeper, you need to focus on a singular problem, like clicking links, and then you need to dissect it down. So not only are they aware of the dangers, but you give them a new behavioral pattern to link to it. And when you do that, awareness takes a whole new level of impact in your organization.
0: Yeah, I do I do uh, believe that the, the cultural part of this, the changing the security culture and the behaviors is key. That's like that second level of, of awareness that we don't often see. We often hear about, okay, you take the annual security training, you do this monthly phishing test, but are you really changing the behavior and the culture in the company? And that's what's really key is important. That's a very excellent part uh, and point to end on. So Eric, I'd like to thank you uh, for your time today. I certainly enjoyed our conversation and hope that you all got value out of this uh, presentation. Uh, And if you want some more value out of, uh, of conversations, till into on January twelfth to our next session of privacy by design, embedded data, embedding data protection into uh the de- uh, de- de- data deployment. Yeah, I totally hacked that up, but. <laughs> But uh, that's just some of the great things that we have here at ILTA for you. So tune in January 12th uh, for the next session in that. And Eric, I'd like to thank you for coming out and talking with us today. We certainly appreciate your time and we packed a lot of information into this. So I hope you all got value from it. And we'll see you on the next edition of ILTA Sessions with Kevin. We're gonna, that's, a, that's a new thing. We're gonna start a new thing here. ILTA Sessions with Kevin. <laughs> that sounds good. I like that run. <laughs> so thanks, Eric, and have a great day.
1: Thank you.